Welcome to Get A Move On, the podcast for movement lovers who are fed up with their injuries and want to enhance their all-round health. On this podcast, I'll help you change how you think about pain and illness so you can drop the frustration and move freely. I'm Amy, an osteopath turned yoga teacher and mindset coach. On this pod, I'll be talking about the joys of pain, injury and illness, the mind-body connection and how they relate to our movement practice so you can get a move on. Good afternoon, morning, evening to you, everybody who's listening to Get A Move On with me, Amy Slevin. Today I am talking to a living legend. He is Ted McDonald, aka Barefoot Ted, who is a pioneer of barefoot running, and he came to some kind of amazing fame via the book Born to Run by Christopher McDougall back in 2009. Ted has been revolutionary in popularizing barefoot and natural running and he was an early adopter of the current trend and Ted also has some really cool ideas on how to live a healthy life both physically and mentally and we're going to find out about them. I think he's a cool dude like a kind of surfer dude from California so my first question I really am kind of curious to know but I think it's almost obvious to me anyway not to everybody is well how you got into barefoot running in the first place. Well, that's a great question, and, you know, thank you for inviting me to share some time with you. It is kind of morning for me, and I'm in Southern California in a little town called Santa Barbara, California. I'm living here because it ends up being a mecca of a California culture that I've been part of all of my life. The history of it's just really fascinating, like barefooting and surfing and and hippies and, like, this ongoing attempt in different times in civilization where people are trying to go back to nature. There's some kind of remedy to be found in allowing the body to take care of itself, so to speak, by listening to it, by paying attention to it, by allowing it to do the miraculous work that it does. So growing up in the 1970s California surf skate culture, early on, we were just kind of like feral children running wild, discovering new things. And we felt so incredibly free. And we gained a lot of mastery over our bodies through skateboarding and surfing and swimming in waves. And I just realized I built up a kind of incredible physicality that, of course, applied to sports and other things. But what was wonderful about surfing and skateboarding was there was another element of freedom, just freedom from the adults, freedom from the dull and boring and, you know, rule bound. And rather it became a giant festival of shared experience, of style, things that, you know, aren't being conducted by managers. And somehow it gave us a tremendous amount of confidence, often too much confidence. And many of my heroes from the era too young got too successful, you know, like as teenagers. And of course, you know, teenagers in the 1970s with lots of money, the skateboard heroes, you know, drugs and all the whole, you know, debilitating things that come from too much of a good thing too soon. That being said, as I reconnected, as I began to reevaluate my own trajectory on health and wanting to find the most appropriate way to move forward and be healthy and happy, running became something that had captured my imagination as some kind of powerful way to validate your ability to be fit. And the marathon was like in the 80s, that became like the thing. And I remember being at a party where a famous American senator's son was going to run a marathon 
on that day of his birthday. And he was 40 years old. And I was just like thinking, how in God's green earth can any 40 year old run a marathon? I mean, because I was combining it with my own experience, how far I'd gone and what I had imagined. So somehow I put in the back of my mind that that is a valid thing to shoot for. Now, I have different opinions of all of these things now. I'm giving you the trajectory. But ultimately, the idea of using something like a marathon as a tool, as a target, and it's a valid one, to see where I could, how I could add myself up if I compared it to that world of marathon running. So when I started, and as my... <laughs> 20s passed and here I was in my 30s. As I got to my mid-30s, I was thinking, you know, I really got to start thinking about whether or not I really could conceivably run a marathon when I'm 40 years old. So long story short, as I made my efforts to get to the place where I could do that, somehow or another, I had to reconnect to the earlier version of myself and how I had performed and lived my life basically barefooted. And then as I did my own research, the book Born to Run almost becomes, I'd like to say, my quirky PhD thesis that I didn't have to write. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I really see it that way because it's like, there's no way I would ever take the time and put the effort into encapsulating in such an artifact a real experience and at the same time connected to the philosophy and the ideas and just I got to live it and then this guy you know made it so that I have this way of both reflecting back on it although I've only read it a few times but I lived it and then my own trajectory got to the point where I started finding out what others will find out when they read Born to Run I started recognizing that oh obviously in my case before you start exploring the boundaries outside of yourself with other tools and things that you're going to use, you first need to really understand how and what it feels like to operate the primal equipment in its default state. This attitude is so beneficial to anyone who has it because they kind of have somehow built a trust in the intelligence of their own body. Uh-huh. And because one of the things that you say is about allowing people to experiment. So specifically, what kind of experimentation? What are we trying to find out? Okay, that's a fabulous question. One of the jokes I say about self-experimentation is at least you don't need to sign a form, right? You know, you're free to make decisions about what you can do for yourself to make yourself a happier, healthier person. You have an internal barometer inside of you that gives you all kinds of indicators. Some of them are more complex than we can describe, including things like intuition and whatnot, family history, dreams, whatever. So you have this individuality and this unique trajectory that is one of a kind. Each and every one of us represents an embodied being that is absolutely unrepeatable. Now we can resonate with other people in the sense we can learn things from other people like I've seen some of the testimonials of some of the people who've come to a class that, for example, you've taught on doing a handstand, right? When you have that experience, it's just, there it is. It becomes part of you. You had to take a risk. You have to take a chance. You have to play around with the boundaries. And then bing, bang, boom, you suddenly have this new skill, a new superpower that you didn't even know you had. A whole new spaciousness is opened up inside of you. And each time you have those kind of experiences, I think it gives you validation to continue on this intuitive, one-of-a-kind, unique journey called you, 
finding the ways that help you find meaning and feel good in your body because it certainly seems to be clear that there's a direct connection between the fine tuning you get in moving your body well and also how you can begin to shape your mind, your spirit, whatever it is that you are. Yes, I totally agree. And I love the whole idea of like movement as being a sort of educational and empowering kind of activity. So in your experience, what kind of ways of moving have you found that help people with their kind of their mind-body connection or their mental health? Because the funny thing is, I think that a lot of people actually don't really like running. I'm like, admittedly, I'm one of them. (laughs) Right. Well, I'll get to that. I've got something on that. (laughs) Okay. I love to move, of course, but my preference of moving is more like kind of animal movements, yoga-like movements, parkour. You know, I love jumping around and climbing on stuff. And and I think, you know, everyone's unique. That's it. I'm way more in line with what you're saying than what most people would think. Now how I use running has nothing to do with any kind of goal I'm shooting for in the sense of like time or distance. I use running and movement, like you're describing, basically to bring well-being and vitality into myself and into the world around me. As we move well through the world and in our own body, we radiate like a magnetism or a value. It's a smile, it's a spark, and it, it encourages others to do the same because it's so good, right? And it looks good. Yeah, it's like kind of vitality. Vitality. So running for me these days is much more about i don't run hard but i do get into a state and these days the intensity is never beyond nose breathing the goal is to contain it within nose breathing the whole time right instead of performance it's looking for efficiency of movement and it turns out searching for that and this is where barefoot running becomes a tool rather than how far how fast i don't give a crap about it per se I want to see how well you can stay in this efficient state because when you're efficient, being able to move pretty well without needing to overtax yourself, that efficiency is because you're learning how to move adapted to your body. Instead of a boom, boom, it becomes a... Right. Okay. I get it. So there's the cadence and the kind of the smoothness and just the rhythm is the kind of the enjoyable experience and connecting with the environment around you, presumably. Yeah, totally. Connecting to the environment and then becoming so self-aware, so completely contained and so in your body to be there, to be able to preserve that space. And at the same time, negotiating in real time, the complexity of a terrain. I don't just, you know, run in one environment. And then, by the way, I will regularly and whenever I want to either stop to soak in a vista, pay attention to something beautiful that I notice, climb something, carry something that I find on the ground, and so forth and so on. Amazing. I think that's actually so cool because I'm one of those people. Like, for me, running is just not that fun. I actually did go for a run this morning, not thinking... I'm talking to Barefoot Ted this afternoon, therefore I have to run today. I just felt like doing it. And it didn't occur to me to kind of stop and do stuff. I was like, I'm on a run. I have to behave myself because this is running. Sometimes I do pepper it with little bits and pieces, but not quite in the same way. So what you've just said actually is like quite cool. Just like give yourself permission to kind of take a break and just enjoy what's going on around you and enjoy other stuff. It doesn't have to be just about the running for the sake of running. It's the connection with your environment. Humans don't just run like a machine following a clock. I mean, that's a new, new, new thing. Yeah, and so boring. 
so boring, so unimaginative, and like I'm doing this because it's good for me or whatever. And you see, in many cases, I like to describe it like this. Unfortunately, you know, if this is you, don't panic. We're all going through our own process. But for many people, it looks like, you know, you get this beautiful Rolls Royce. It's just this gorgeous car. But unfortunately, it's not tuned up and it has bad fuel in it. By running that car more and more and harder and harder and longer and longer, you're not going to make it better and better. It just ain't going to work. So there's a lot more to health than just doing more and more of anything. Agreed. And whatever that's going to be for you, think of it that way. It should be feeding you now and forever, not like somehow you're going to like manage yourself through it, through the pain and suffering. And also, I like to operate with the idea that the least amount that works the best is the best. Playing around with the edges of less rather than more first or, you know, go back and forth and do the experiments. But giving yourself permission to try, if you can, it depends on where you are, to not know exactly or mix it up. I mean, I really have been doing that a lot from skateboarding to running to different kinds of terrain, climbing things. And I think if you're almost anywhere in the world, I mean, you can pick better, obviously. And I picked the beach. You can't get much better, right? But it took a long time. You know, it's like it's refining and refining. But the attitude, you can apply it to wherever you are. You're sitting in a friggin' airport. Don't just sit there like a boat, you know, go and do some stretches, do a handstand, do some yoga, go and talk to somebody. I mean, just be spacious and Give yourself permission as long as your goal is to find your higher self, to do better, to feel better, to be a better vessel, to do more good in the world that you're building through being who you are, whomever you are, then give yourself permission. You're not a bad person. Get out there and have a good time. Yeah, it's scary though, huh? It's kind of scary to give yourself permission to do crazy shit like that. I feel like, you know, there's a real kind of movement in that direction, though, with social media also kind of gives people permission to do weird shit. But even then, like sometimes there is a fear of being considered weird or someone telling you to stop doing that. People criticizing you and saying, like, why are you doing it that way? For example, today when I went for my run, because I don't enjoy running that much, as I said, I mix it up. So I go sideways and I go backwards. And sometimes I kind of twist a little bit and kind of do cross steps and stuff. And that's to make it more interesting for me and to bring more variety but I think there you know people who probably for them even just doing that might just be a bit like outrageous that's the other marvelous thing about being an individual it's like you're just going to have to work with the palette you have what we can say is as brothers and sisters in the business longer than you let's say a younger person listening today you're going to have to play with that and you're going to have to find a way to paint with that and find a way to celebrate that and find a way to rehabilitate, regenerate, redo if you're not happy with where it is now. And you're always going to be polishing the mirror. There's never an end to this journey we're on. I mean, we don't know where it ends. Like, I like those balance sports. Skateboarding is another one. I really love skateboarding. I've got the perfect environment to do it, and I'm really good at it, and I've been doing it all my life, and I'm like a master of it now. And what I realize is, as I ride, it's like pretty much every single moment in that fully engaged state, you are just reining in bonus points into your soul, into your heart, into your body. And those kind of states are the kind of things I'm wanting to see people encouraged to find more and more. And that's what running ultimately should feel like. Yeah, okay. No, that's pretty cool. And it's interesting what you say about feeling good because, well, I don't know if you know, but one of the things that I'm very interested in is injuries. and 
running gets a bit of a bad rap, I think. People blame running for bad knees or kind of the cause of all sorts of terrible things that happen to joints. So I'm curious now, have you had any joint issues, say like as a result of running or related to running? Right. Well, that's a great question. So that's another thing about, you know, the style of running I'm doing, this kind of attitude of being so tuned in, you're way less likely to do things that start to go to the place where it's going to create an injury, right? I mean, let's put it this way. I'm 57 years old and I've never felt more comfortable in my body than now. I'm always trying to push and extend my capacities in movement. Like they are feeding me so that I can say that statement. So the answer is no, I feel great, but I'm not foolhardy. Like I had injuries previous to running structural issues, like a scoliosis issue. And I was always made to believe that I wouldn't be able to even approach this because of right up the end plaque, blah, 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 yada, yada. And almost gave up. Those of us who have injuries for whatever reason, or, you know, setbacks, those become new, interesting opportunities to see how you're going to riddle your way out of it, because you're the only ones going to have that, but people are going to help you and teach you. And so, if you have a problem, at least now you know what the riddle is. You can start working on it. It's already become palpable. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. And I'm all about like finding the opportunity in the injury. And that's one of the things that I help people do. A big part of my job is working with people who have an injury that is just like frustrating, not going away and, you know, dealing with it, taking away the frustration and, and then finding out, okay, so what's going on? How can we turn this into an opportunity? Just like you just said. And sometimes when that we do that, then weirdly, the pain goes away. No one can complain about that. You know, reducing suffering every time always is good. Becoming a master of it in your body, you know, the body becomes a great tool to work with using your philosophies or whatever it is. And, you know, palpably like, you know, kneading it into the dough, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I very much agree. And also in terms of philosophy and kneading things into the dough, you've studied evolutionary biology, right? How does that relate to barefoot running? Well, okay. When you have to come up with really good guesses about who we are and where we're from, you're not going to go wrong with getting to become friends with Dr. Daniel Lieberman at Harvard University, who is like, you know, one of the preeminent evolutionary biologists in the world and who is a major proponent of the running animal theory of a human being, Homo sapiens sapiens capacity to run so well. And in the story that he captures, it's our capacity to do what's called persistent hunting in today's world. One of our closest, let's say, a people, a group who's practicing very similar skills, who have preserved the skill of what's called persistence hunting, they can, in two to eight hours, through basically just trotting and following footprints, pick out and run down, literally, without even using a weapon, an 800-pound animal that feeds the tribe for a month, 30 people. And uh, it's a skill set that's very, very powerful 
in places where you have very, very limited resources. And I mean, all the animals in the real world understand there's this give and take, there's this paradox of life coming, life going, and all the rest. It's just part of the inherent world that we're in. Yeah, it's like in The Lion King, when Mufasa says to Simba, Simba, this is the great circle of life. And we eat the antelope, and when we die, our bodies become a grass. Look, it's an important thing. Everybody's wanting to jump through that hoop. There's so many things and behaviors that we'll do in order to sort of meet certain kinds of expectations. But I'm just going to say, from this evolutionary biological point of view, and let's say from an ecological point of view, or a sort of just the uh, dance of life point of view, from all the great stories, from all the great peoples, it's a paradox that we live with, but it's not poisoning us if we live that way. Lieberman writes a book that's really interesting. It's called The Story of the Human Being or The Story of the Human. Writing that down. It turns out many of the diseases that are you know, part of the Western world today are what he calls mismatch diseases. They're not things that are just part of the human experience, devoid of a modern way of living and eating and moving. It's like people think that we're like these broken, let down, you know, like misfit systems. But the reality is the things that we think plague us, so many of those things are connected not necessarily to our genes per se, but in the way we get them expressed and by the toxins that we can put into them or by the poor ways that we can treat and so forth. And so the resiliency of the human being is absolutely remarkable. And if you're not in that state, then you crave it. And that's why sometimes you can go off in the wrong direction if you think that there's a pill or potion that's gonna make you better instantly and every time. So sometimes you have to vote with your body. Oh, I like that. You have to yeah. kill somewhere different. And our ancestors have always done that. And sometimes you have to do that. For example, you can't just check out of your body so easily, right? So I think it just becomes the richness of living what you do to make yourself find those moments where you're making progress, you're getting better. You're probably surrounding yourself with other people who are doing similar things or aspire to similar things. And lo and behold, those kind of people following those kind of attitudes tend to have a better chance of finding sooner the things that are making them feel better. So do more of that and less of the other thing is what I would recommend. Right. Okay. So that comes back to your philosophy of experimentation. As also we, as our bodies change as we get older and sort of, we're going to have to just keep experimenting in order to just keep up with the changes of our body even. That's the other amazing thing. By keeping that kind of attitude, the self-experimental attitude or openness, not, you know, not just like willy-nilly, ultimately it will be clearer and clearer when you're doing better and better. And sometimes you just have these breakthroughs and you have to expect them. They don't come all the time. You just can't snap your fingers to them, but you follow the leads intuitively. All I mean by that is what is piquing your interest? Follow those curiosities. Drill down, ask the question, go see the teacher, try the method, evaluate it, decide whether that was good for you. If it, you know, and sometimes it'll be good for certain periods and then not. There's no dogmatic way. Totally agree. That's the other thing I'm trying to free people up from thinking, I've got to go this step by step. No, no, no. You are solving the riddle in a different way than anyone else. Certain things may apply. They'll apply for a season. They'll come and go. They'll start again. I mean, don't be too alarmed by that. Just be making sure that you feel 
self-reportedly so, that you're making progress. That's all. Keep making progress. That's a great position to be in. It's like one percentage point better each year you live. How's that sound? That sounds amazing. You know what I have to say? I think it's pretty inspiring also that you are 57 and you're still, I mean, this is going to sound a bit patronizing or a bit weird, but like that you're still going because I think for younger people, there is such a perception of you can't function after the age of 25. And so I think for me personally, it's mega inspiring to see somebody really challenging that narrative. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. And, and I do look up to kind of older women as well who can still do amazing stuff with their body. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Like it's not going to all end when I turn 40. It's up to you what you want to do. Make good choices every day, live in the now well, and then just keep practicing that forever. How's that sound? That sounds amazing. I want to ask you also your primal fitness coaching. You have these days which I really want to come to, that sounds so awesome. Can you tell me a bit about them? I love doing hot and cold. I've really, really gained a lot from hot and cold stuff, starting when I was living in Seattle. There's a whole series of things that we, I started realizing that more than just my friends and the people that we're doing here, we needed to start finding a way to open it up. Now, what hot and cold does is it really, in a confined period and in a short space, does a lot of benefits to the body. It like really gets things moving. It gets you, you know, sweat coming. And then cold is all about learning how to relax and to, you know, allow there's this reflex that happens when you're, when you get cold and particularly in your face, you can, your heartbeat slows down and other stuff that's really quite marvelous. You know, I just love mentoring people into these kind of experiences that are so basic Like, I didn't want to become like a coach, a prescriptive coach, like, I'm going to run this many times and I'm going to keep trying. I just can't, I can't tolerate it. So it's not my style. Mm -hmm. But teaching them how to tune into their body doesn't take long, you know, getting them in their bare feet and just giving them some of the things that I'm paying attention to when I'm moving this way and seeing if I can get them to feel that themselves. And I think the when I did that a lot that people pick it up and then, you know, later on, I see that they've been able to sort of like, keep it going, keep it alive, find a way to keep it, apply it to whatever they're doing. So Mm. how do you help them to sort of get into that, to kind of get into their body? One of the first things I really like people to pay attention to is I really want them to get focused on the realization that if they are able to find a way to hold their body in a certain way. And it's very close to, imagine you're on a hard surface and you're going to jump rope. What is it going to feel like? If you were to do it poorly, in the sense that either you were landing too heavily or you couldn't find just the right rhythm that would give the most amount of return energy for each landing, right? You know how you can just get into that rhythm. One of my whole things that I come to the realization with barefoot running in particular and just developing this skill is that it's very much like a language. I like to think of it like this. If you were born and grew up for the first five years of your life in some out-of-the-way place with an indigenous group of people that were living close to the land and you learned all those skills and then you were taken away for whatever reason and you finished up living more or less normally wherever you had been and then suddenly... 20 years later, you and a friend are going to go back to this village for the first time ever. 
and you're going to spend a year there, and then we're going to evaluate how much you've gained, how, how quickly you've relearned the language, the cultural things. And, the, and what I try to like express to people is some people have this already really developed quite a finesse for whatever reasons, how they grew up, they're doing yoga, whatever. They haven't, you know, damaged themselves or they, you know, they didn't wear shoes when they were, whatever. And so I always like to help people get into that space. It's like, that's once again, showing the complexity of each individual and how they're going to have to evaluate themselves in that space. But that very simple thing of being able to get to the point where you can feel what it's like to actually load yourself like a spring, basically, making it feel like a wheel. And ultimately, mm -hmm. the smoother you can make that energetic wheel, it's kind of partly imaginative. I don't know. It's feeling like a wheel. The way the cadences, the way this feedback of the spring that comes back from self-loading of the way you hold your body, just like on a jump roping and so forth, dialed in and contained, ends up having more in that exhilaration of when you're moving effortlessly or as close to effort. So that's why I'm focusing so much on this it's really not coaching them to the finest detail, but it's really, I think it's more like a inspirational spark kind of coaching experience rather than like some kind of method that everyone's going to apply the same way. Right. It sounds like you're almost kind of giving them some tools to just be themselves almost, or just to find what works for them. Yeah. My favorite thing to do, to be honest with you, and I, and I wish I could do it more is introduce people to some of these other new and interesting sports and possibilities that are coming. Like what? I really got into those solo wheels, as you mentioned. Yes. I just love the idea of the future where people will be able to move through urban spaces and whatnot, almost like that guy riding that wave in, in the summer, like where you're so engaged in your body, so attuned to what you're doing, so in control of your momentum and everything that it's almost sort of like angelic. For those who, when I turned people on to it, it was like, truly was like teaching them how to fly. And if they have the ability to fly and you suddenly find that you can fly, it's, well, it's a dream come true. That's back to that, you know, six-year-old guy looking out into the future, imagining what would be possible. Well, I can tell you, yeah. amazingly, God answers prayers. Sometimes it takes, you know, way longer than expected. <laughs> That's such a good point. Yes. I think even with regards to movement skills, life stuff, milestones, business things, things often just take a different amount of time from what we're expecting. And I think an important thing is to manage expectations. And, you know, sometimes we get frustrated and I've been through this myself, right? So like, I've decided this is what I'm going to be doing and I'm expecting some sort of massive success in three months or whatever it is. And so, yeah, it might not happen that way, right? Well, there's that resiliency and that's where the surfer comes in, right? I mean, in other words, you just can't snap your fingers and have the waves be perfect every time, but you have to keep going and looking and paying attention. I mean, what I like about the skateboarding and other things is I more or less can flick a switch and I can be going. I love that. And also with my running, I mean, all of those, when I go do those things, I'm not being compelled by pure discipline anymore. Getting better at those all the time just add up to being a healthier, happier you. And if you want to contribute well to the well-being of the planet, the universe, very good place to start is the garden of your own self, you know, and just get that tuned up as best you can in the unique way that you're going to, 
look for people that can help you and give you insights, reminding them that that's right, that's the way, and here we go, let's keep improving. Ted, I think that might be a great place to leave it. This has been so informative. You have shared so much. You know, I've learned a lot, and I think that everybody else has learned a lot too. So I'm going to say thank you. That was fabulous. You were fabulous. And major, major thank you. Go out there and have fun. Thank you so much. That was Get a Move On with Amy Slevin. If you enjoyed that, we'll be back next week with a slightly different topic. And if you didn't enjoy that, we'll be back next week with a slightly different topic. Thanks for listening.